You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. The deadly winter in BC continues with two more deaths due to avalanche. On Monday, three people on a heli skiing trip out of Revelstoke were buried. Only one survived. Aaron MacArthur has the latest, including what we know about the victims. Despite our most diligent efforts to minimize the hazard of avalanches, the hazards are well defined and can turn deadly without warning. Step down a shot. Two American tourists, heli skiing near Revelstoke, were killed in an avalanche Monday afternoon. The Revelstoke RCMP are working very closely with BC Coroner Service and with that heli skiing company uh, to make a determination to see if there was any um, criminality involved at all. Um, that heli skiing company is working very closely with and is uh, participating um, with, with the investigation. The skiers were clients of CMH Heli Skiing, based out of the Nomads Lodge. A group of three were caught in a slide about 25 kilometers southeast of Revelstoke on McRae Peak. They are being identified as Tim and John Kinsley, brothers from York, Pennsylvania. The two men completely buried in the slide. A third person, a ski guide with more than two decades experience, was also partially buried and remains in hospital in stable condition. Our guides, uh, through their uh, assessment and years of experience and uh, following the snowpack uh, uh, throughout the season, deemed it to be, uh, to be safe to ski that day. Avalanche conditions remain dangerous across BC. Holy. This controlled slide shared on Avalanche Canada's social media feeds. A slide near Kiefer Lake Monday sent one person to hospital with undetermined injuries. So far this winter, five people have died in avalanches around B.C. Most recently, a snowmobiler was killed near Bailmount and two police officers killed near Nelson. This is maybe about a, a season that would come up around about one every 10 years or so. Conditions may actually get worse as the week progresses. Avalanche Canada warning people to exercise extreme caution heading out into the backcountry. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. According to the B.C. Coroner Service, an average of 22 people die in the mountains every winter. From the winters of 2007 through 2018, 251 people lost their lives while recreating in the mountains. 42% of those deaths were due to an avalanche. 45% happened while snowmobiling, 33% while skiing, and just 13% while snowboarding. Well, for the first time since she took her own life four years ago, we are hearing the words of the young Vancouver police officer who was allegedly involved in relationships with two senior officers, Constable Nicole Chan, detailing her struggles in a statement to investigators just weeks before she died. Rumina Dea reports. I feel unsafe and the constant need to escape, which I believe stems from what I maintain was a sexual assault inside Dave's apartment, said VPD Constable Nicole Chan in her January 2019 victim impact statement regarding former Vancouver Police Sergeant Dave Van Patten, the new Westminster Police in charge of the criminal investigation at the request of Vancouver Police. We are now learning Van Patten, who was in HR, received several Several emails from Chan's psychologist saying she was ready to return to work after struggling with depression, anxiety and a history of suicide attempts. It uh, was distressing for her to feel like somebody uh, 
that she had made allegations about uh, was in the position of somehow being able to oversee uh, whether or not she could be returned to work as a, as a constable. I was sick and taken advantage of by a senior officer handling my file, said Chan. There was a huge imbalance of power and I was severely depressed. I was honest with the department about my struggles and Dave used this information to exploit and manipulate me. According to evidence presented at the inquest, New Westminster Police did forward a file to Crown Council, but no criminal charges were ever laid. Van Patten was ultimately dismissed from the Vancouver Police. I believe there's a systemic issue within the VPD that needs to be changed because I don't want this to happen to another family. Despite her struggles, a return to work plan was in motion for Constable Chan in 2018. But she was stressed about the workplace complaints she filed and how she'd be judged, said psychologist Dr. Noah Suswain. Fast forward to January 26, 2019, the day Constable Chan was apprehended under the Mental Health Act for another suicide attempt. Chan's other psychologist, Dr. Randy Makoff, testified it was imperative. Hospital staff knew her history of suicide attempts before releasing her. It's unclear if they were aware. Chan was released. She took her life the next day. Romina Dea, Global News. Parents and caregivers in Victoria are being warned of an increase in, in sextortion targeting young boys. Victoria police say 27 incidents were filed last year. Nearly 60% of them were involved targeting boys in Victoria and Esquimalt, some as young as 13 and 14 years old. In sextortion cases, perpetrators gain the trust of a victim online, requesting intimate photos and videos and then threatening to share the explicit images in order to extort money. Police advise you to warn your kids about sextortion and let them know they should not comply with requests for intimate images or threats from possible perpetrators. A lot of parents in BC are enduring, sorry, patients in BC are enduring long waits for surgeries. Alberta and Ontario have both announced they'll pay private health care clinics to help clear their backlogs. But so far, BC isn't budging. Richard Zussman has more on the provincial government's approach instead. Desperate times, desperate measures. Wait times are far too long and we have to get them down. In Alberta, the government there contracting out 3,000 orthopedic surgeries to a private health care clinic. Current public health care lists will still be used, meaning no queue jumping, but it's still public dollars to a private system. I haven't looked at Ontario or Alberta closely, but I can tell you, in BC we did it by adding resources, making our system more efficient, adding operating room time. Even amid an ongoing health care capacity crisis, BC has been reluctant to rely on the private system. 96% of surgeries done here are in health authority-owned and operated facilities. When BC ramped up surgeries, testing machines and operating rooms had extended evening and weekend hours. We've had in place about 100 new uh, measures to improve the efficiency of surgeries, and of course that includes um, more operating room nurses, more anesthesiologists, more medical processing technicians and others. Overnight surgeries, for example, are done in the private system due to regulatory protocols. Providing health care in some private clinics is allowed under the Medicare Act, but creates a slippery slope. In Saskatchewan, they did a similar thing where they expanded uh, private funding for 
um, surgeries in order to clear the backlog. And it did work in the short term, but um, in the long term, actually, um, surgical wait times are now higher. BC Liberal leader Kevin Falcon agrees healthcare must be universally accessible and publicly funded, but believes private delivery can be a larger part of the solution to a strained system. They're so ideologically fixated to say that only government must be involved in every aspect of healthcare. And the problem is that's got us to where one in five British Columbians cannot access a family physician. We have one million people on a wait list just to see a specialist. Those in desperate need of health care left to grapple with a fundamental question. When they need help, does it matter who's the one paying for it? Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. Well, fewer people are in hospital this week than last week as pressure eases on the B.C. health care system ever so slightly. Our Keith Baldry joins us now. And Keith, what can, you, what can you tell us about the latest numbers? What do they show? Yeah, the key word you just used there, Chris, is slightly. So the good news is we may, may have appeared to have peaked in the number of people in hospital about 10,200 about two and a half weeks ago. The numbers have gone down, but we're still at very high levels. Check out the latest report issued this afternoon. So right now there's 9,700 people in uh, hospital beds in BC. That's down 526 from January 6th, but it's actually up from yesterday, by the way. But look at these busy hospitals. They continue to have big numbers of people in hospital. Royal Inland and Canlis has 110% occupancy rate. Richmond, 108%, both over occupancy. Uh, University Hospital in Prince George hovering around 100%, as is Kelowna. Uh, Royal Columbia is next, not on the graphic, but that's down to 90%. So some of our major hospitals have a lot of people in them. A point made by Health Minister Adrian Dix uh, today when we talked to him, pointing out that yes, the numbers may be down, but it doesn't mean that BC hospitals aren't overcrowded. So it's better than it was three weeks ago, but it's still extremely challenging across healthcare systems, especially in some hospitals that uh, are, uh, are doing some extraordinary work, but also facing extraordinary challenges, such as Royal Inland Hospital and, our, uh, and many of our big hospitals in the province that are facing some very significant challenges. So we have about 9,200 base beds in our system, Chris, but with 9,700 people occupying beds, that means more than 500 people are in what are called surge beds. And those are beds, and we've seen them before, beds that are not located in your traditional wards. They can be in hallways, literally closets, uh, uh, common rooms, and that's the case in some of those oversubscribed hospitals that I just pointed out on that graphic. Not optimal health care, to be sure. All right, thanks yeah. very much, Keith. Unintended consequences of providing a safe supply of drugs. The downtown vending machines are supposed to be a lifeline for addicts trying to kick the habit. But what some of them are doing with the free supply makes the whole situation even worse. That's next on the News Hour. Kinetic artistry, a local man bringing BC flavor to the craft of automata. And what spending just two hours near high traffic zones might be doing to your brain. That's later. Right now, though, it's a system meant to keep toxic drugs away from addicts by providing safer alternatives through vending machines. But critics say there is evidence those drugs are instead ending up in the wrong hands through the sale of the drugs to teenagers. Catherine Urquhart reports. The MySafe vending machines dispense medical-grade opioids, giving those with an addiction a life-saving alternative to toxic street drugs. They're located on Vancouver's downtown east side. But now those working in recovery say kids aged 16 and 17 
are getting their hands on those drugs. Their friends and them are accessing Safe Supply because they want to use it recreationally and that they know relatively that it's safer than the alternative. And they've specifically mentioned these machines? Yes. They specifically mentioned taking transit downtown and purchasing. How is this happening? It's called diversion. Those with prescriptions get their safe supplies, then sell them, preferring cash, often so they can buy street drugs, food, or access life necessities. There needs to be oversight to make sure that any drugs that are being publicly funded um, and publicly supplied addictive drugs, that there are safety measures in place and other um, ways of having that um, supervised to make sure that they're not falling into the wrong hands. Staff at Last Door Recovery Centre say supports must be increased to prevent diversion of substances to kids. So it's good that people know how to access a safe supply, but it, it also exposes people to have access that wouldn't necessarily have readily access. The vending machines are an innovation in drug treatment, but critics say more needs to be done to ensure the drugs are not being resold. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Northern Health has sent out multiple toxic drug alerts this month alone. The most recent warning was for Terrace, where there are reports of a substance circulating called Down. The drug comes in a variety of colors and has tested positive for both benzos and fentanyl. Down can cause overdose and heavy prolonged sedation. It's also circulating in Prince George in powder or chunk form with a purple color to it. A similar substance is being sold as meth in Fort St. John. The health authority warns these substances move around and affect various regions of the province. An Alberta family wants answers about why they had to find out about their son's death in B.C. eight months after his passing and only because they Googled it. Scott Greer had long struggled with addiction and homelessness before moving from Edmonton to Victoria in 2019. After not hearing from him in months, his parents started searching for him ahead of his 36th birthday this month. That's when they found his obituary online and learned he'd actually died in May. Now they want to know why they were never notified. How did they have his proper name and his proper birth date? in the first place for them to put that up, you know. So somebody had to know something. You're worrying all this time when I guess they could have stopped the hurt a lot sooner. The B.C. Ministry of Social Development and Poverty Reduction says the coroner in Victoria contacted the public guardian and trustee about Scott's death and determined that he had no estate or next of kin. Just ahead, parents forced to pay up. And a lot of just horror stories from other parents. The daycare deposit fiasco that many say is unfair and should end. But first, a breakthrough in the new Broadway subway tunnel construction. Still a slow commute for eastbound traffic along Highway 1 through the Burnaby Lake stretch. Most of the congestion is at merge points like Willingdon and Kensington. Today's Lotto Max jackpot is an estimated $21 million. Lotto Max dreamed to the max. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Center. A literal breakthrough for the Broadway subway line today. You heard the cheer. After months of digging, the tunnel boring machine known as Elsie 
punched a six-meter-wide hole this week in what will be the eastern wall of the Mount Pleasant station. The $2.8 billion project will add nearly six kilometers to the Millennium Line along West Broadway from VCC Clark Station all the way to Arbutus. According to the schedule, track will be laid this spring with the line completed in 2026. Well, the province has handed out medals of citizenship to 15 British Columbians for their selfless service to others. Recipients are selected for their kindness, generosity and sacrifice that creates stronger communities. The honorees from 2022 include people who organized various charity initiatives. For example, Ron Rice, who has served as the executive director of the Victoria Native Friendship Centre and has been helping underserved urban indigenous people. For these noble contributions, it is uh, such a pleasure to honour Ron with the BC Medal of Good Citizenship. Nominations for the Medal of Good Citizenship are accepted year-round. Recipients come from all ages and walks of life, and any current or former long-term resident of BC is eligible. Well, families in Surrey are getting hundreds more new childcare spots, specifically for school-aged children. Minister of Education and Childcare Rachna Singh announcing more than 290 childcare spaces this morning. Provincial government is investing $186,000 to help create the spots. The spaces are located on nine school grounds throughout the Surrey School District and are for school-aged children needing before and after school care. I understand that every minute Every drop-off and pick-up, every step in coordinating your day matters when you're trying to get to work or school. To have your kids in one place for the entire day gives parents one drop-off and one pick-up, and more importantly, peace of mind. The programs are operated by the YMCA. Space is still available. All right, there are still many parents still looking for child care, and they have to hope a spot comes up near them. Many times paying a deposit just to get on the wait list. And those deposits can be anywhere from 50 to hundreds of dollars, and they're non-refundable. As Kylie Stanton reports, some parents say the practice is unfair and should be abolished. At nine months old, maternity leave is coming to an end and the clock is ticking. We just kind of started our child care search a few months ago. I mean, people did give me a fair warning that it was going to be hard, but I didn't think it was going to be impossible. The major barrier Brittany McLaughlin keeps running into, non-refundable deposits just to get a name on the wait list. Smaller centers are charging what they would call admin fees as anywhere from 20, 25 to $50. And then the larger centers you're seeing 100, 200 and sometimes upwards of $500. It's no secret childcare wait lists often run into the hundreds with some children sitting on them for years before a spot ever becomes available. And while not all opt to charge a non-refundable deposit to join, it is considered to be common practice. I've seen it all, all across the province, actually. Emily Malechko with the Early Childhood Educators of BC says in some cases, the funds are put towards maintaining the wait lists, but in others, it's simply a money grab, only highlighting the need to have it addressed as the province works to build its childcare system. That's one of the reasons why we're pushing so hard for that, that we actually have the resources to be able to manage the need for the community that isn't another burden for families. 
According to the province, waitlist fees are prohibited for facilities currently a part of the $10 a day agreement. In a statement, the Minister of State for Child Care writes, as we continue to develop child care into a core service for all families, waitlist fees are one of the many aspects that will be considered, assessed and evaluated. But in the meantime, McLaughlin is still searching. Her most recent attempt, going nowhere. This email that reads, the registration fee is non-refundable, our school is currently full, we might have a spot in September, has her considering her options, knowing she's not alone. It's scary. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Victoria. Coming up, borrowing pains. Today we're out here to fight the criminal interest rates that the government is allowing to be charged. The group accusing predatory lenders of taking advantage of the people who can least afford it. And the old doomsday clock ticks ahead why it's closer than ever to midnight next. Seen delays over at the Arthur Lang Bridge tonight. Crews are on scene to a crash southbound at the south end in the right lane. Renew your ICBC Auto Plan online with BC's most trusted insurance brand. Just select BCAA as your preferred broker. Learn more at bcaa.com slash car. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Center. Well, the world is just a little closer to annihilation, at least according to scientists who run the doomsday clock. Today, the members of the Science and Security Board move the hands of the doomsday clock forward, largely, though not exclusively, because of the mounting dangers in the war in Ukraine. We move the clock forward the closest it has ever been to midnight. It is now 90 seconds to midnight. Well, since 2020, the clock had been set at 100 seconds to midnight. It was reset, as you heard, largely due to the increased risk of nuclear escalation stemming from the war in Ukraine. The climate change crisis and the COVID-19 pandemic also influenced the new time. The doomsday clock is, of course, meant to symbolize the various threats faced by humanity. A B.C. community group is calling on the federal government to take action against predatory lenders who charge astronomical interest rates for things like payday loans and other unsecured debt. As Travis Prasad reports, they say the lenders often take advantage of the people who can least afford it. What do you want? What do you want? On the streets of Surrey, a day of action for fair banking. 60% is criminal and predatory interest rates. Good morning. Social justice group Acorn Canada is dropping off letters for the CEOs of payday lending companies. Uh, it's a letter about predatory banking and it's from Acorn Canada. Under Canada's criminal code, lenders can set their interest rates as high as 60%. This is exploitation of people for sure. This is, uh, not, this is not right. At this Easy Financial branch in Surrey, an employee tells us their steepest interest rate is 46% annually and shouldn't be a surprise to borrowers. It's on the very first page of the loan document that they signed here. Very first page. How much they're going to be paying back, what's the interest rate. Very much on the first page in bold letters. I took out those loans because I had no choice. I had to feed my children. Single mother Jana Martin says one payday loan snowballed into multiple with interest rates of more than 50%. That would start the vicious cycle of having to do it again the next month because you're so low on funds. The feds wrapped up a public consultation on predatory lending in October. ACORN looking for an update at the office of Surrey Centre Liberal MP Randeep Sarai. We'd like to meet with Randeep to see where um, 
they are with the issue of predatory lending in Ottawa. In a statement to Global News, the Department of Finance says it's in the process of reviewing the submissions, adding the government is committed to cracking down on predatory lenders. Any sort of regulation, uh, deeper regulation and lower interest rates is going to help people who have these loans right now. ACORN wants the feds to cap interest rates on payday loans at 30%, saying anything above that should be criminal. Travis Prasad, Global News. Some sobering new research by BC scientists is raising questions about exhaust from big trucks and other vehicles. The study by UV, UBC and UVic researchers says common levels of traffic pollution can impair human brain function. Kamal Kali has the details and what to do to lessen your risk. If you live in the big city, it's tough to avoid. Air pollution is everywhere. Now, a new study by UBC and UVic shows just how much traffic pollution harms the human brain. Even brief exposure can have rapid impacts. I was a bit surprised by the results because it is very widespread. The first of its kind study looked at the brain activity of 25 adults between the ages of 19 and 49 years. The participants were exposed to diesel exhaust for two hours while researchers measured their brain activity and found changes to the brain's default mode network or DMN, interconnected brain regions that play an important role in memory and internal thought. The subject showed decreased connectivity in areas of their DMN, which is related to reduced cognitive performance and symptoms of depression. It might look like I have more difficult time keeping things in mind, remembering things that we're told. And so that could definitely have an impact on our, our thinking abilities and our day-to-day -day functioning. It was only this past summer, wildfires caused Metro Vancouver to issue an air quality advisory. Fire smoke is very similar in, in broad strokes um, to the kinds of exposures that we're studying from traffic. These exposures can, again, briefly slow the reaction time uh, for, for common tasks in the order of milliseconds, similar to um, what uh, alcohol can do. This latest study shows the changes in the brain were temporary, but there are concerns there could be more long-lasting effects. And if you have ongoing inflammation, which is a challenge to continually heal over and over again, that could lead to some of these changes associated with Alzheimer's and other uh, long-term, what we call neurodegenerative diseases. So far, the only defense experts recommend don't drive with the windows down while stuck in traffic and avoid busy streets if possible. Kamil Karamali, Global News. Coming up, bringing machines to life. I like to be called a kinetic artist. How David Dumbrell kicked his hobby into high gear, creating an amazing collection of automatons. And later, Okanagan wolves caught on camera. Join the new Global BC Arts and Culture Scene segment as we explore all the people and places that make our creative community so special. So come make the scene. The Global BC Arts and Culture Scene on Global BC and BC One. Metro Vancouver is getting a real-time view of the wildlife at two key watersheds in the region thanks to some wildlife cameras. Pretty cool. These are just some of the images captured on the cameras in both the Seymour 
and Coquitlam watersheds since 2017. For example, researchers largely believe the number of Roosevelt elk and gray wolves were declining dramatically, but now they can see those trends are reversing. Metro Vancouver will use this information to shape future conservation efforts. But yes, be reminded, you are sharing your neighborhood. Definitely. Or at least the watershed <laughs> with some predators. Well, we do see <laughs> the odd visitor to various cultists. That is true. <laughs> that have their garbage out. <laughs> no uh, we have more um, wolf images to show you in just a couple of minutes. But first, let's bring in Christy Gordon with a look at the weather forecast. What do you have there, Christy? Well, we've got uh, sunshine on the way. I want to give everyone a heads up on that. It is going to get very cold, though, and I'll show you how cold in a second. But first, I want to quickly mention uh, there's been some talk about the concern for El Nino as we head into late 2023-24. Um, right now, we are currently in a La Nina phase. And when it comes to the Enzo or El Nino Southern Oscillation, that is the cool phase of that oscillation right now. This is our 2023, sort of the winter 2023 is technically our third La Nina winter. And for our region, that tends to mean more snowfall, cooler conditions. Well, what we know right now is as we head into the spring, we'll likely transition into uh, uh, sort of um, an enzo-neutral stage. Not necessarily El Nino at this point, but we do know that we will likely transition into El Nino very soon because the chance of us having multiple years beyond, say, two, three years of La Nina is very unlikely. And here's the concern. Even in the cool phase of El Enzo oscillation, uh, 2021 was the warmest on record. It tied as the warmest on record when we look at the global surface temperature on average. And 2022 was the fifth warmest on record. So the big concern as we head into, say, 2023, the latter part of it, and 2024 particularly, uh, that when we transition into technically that warm phase of the Enzo oscillation, what could that mean for temperatures? So just a heads up on that. We'll be tracking that very closely and you likely may have read an article on that so we thought we'd just uh, turn you to this website article just search El Nino on our website and there'll be more details about what that really means for our area. Uh, here's a quick look at the transition over the next little while we are going to see much cooler conditions drive into our region so for our area zero degrees is a potential high and we are going to see temperatures plummet in through the interior with this very strong northerly flow the Transition will occur over the weekend, and we are going to see likely those temperatures continue into early part of next week. Your tomorrow, though, not quite there yet. We are expecting some sunshine, although north coast region, you'll see periods of rain. So that rainfall will continue through the day tomorrow, but most other areas, some cloud cover in the morning, otherwise sunshine. And above seasonal values for the interior regions, enjoy the warmth while it lasts, because it's not going to last long. As I mentioned, by the end of the weekend and into next week, it is going to get bitterly cold across the region. So for our region, it means highs of zero degrees potentially on Monday and Tuesday. In the meantime, some sunshine for us for tomorrow afternoon, but we will see rain on Thursday before that clearing trend happens and we enjoy sunshine but cold conditions. Here's tonight's central windows weather window coming to you from White Rock, where we had some stormy skies. Thank you so much to Norman Orr for that. Back to you too. Almost purple in that photo. All right. Thanks very much, Christy. Well, Sophie mentioned uh, the wolves, a Kelowna man had the encounter of a lifetime while hiking a commonly used trail up in the Black Mountain area. He stumbled on a pack of wolves, and instead of running away, he managed to photograph the experience. Randy Marie Adams reports.
It's, yeah, it's pretty majestic. Mike Walchuk is no stranger to the hiking trails on Black Mountain, but this day was exceptionally special. Uh, doing a Saturday hike, uh, been there half a dozen times, doing about an 8K loop, and yeah, on the upper stretches of the trail, I uh, came into an opening and uh, saw, yeah, one wolf initially, and then um, saw the black one shortly after. While Chuck tells Global News he was a bit surprised, but assessed the situation and made sure he kept his distance. They weren't being aggressive, they were moving away from me, so um, once I saw that, I just kind of got into a good area and snapped some photos. According to experts, wolves are fairly shy animals, and if you happen to stumble upon them, they will likely head into the other direction. Adam Ford is an associate professor at the University of British Columbia, Okanagan. He says they're likely traveling with their food source, but finding wolves in the area is rare. So there's lots of different types of wildlife that move through this area. There's herds of elk, there's coyotes. I've heard reports of, of grizzly bears and black bears moving in this area as well. So in some ways, it's not totally surprising that we're seeing wolves here. Uh, it's exciting that someone got to capture them. Ford says there is always a concern when encountering wildlife, but there are things you can do to prevent or minimize any danger. So that means managing our food, making sure that uh, people aren't leaving things behind, and certainly they're not trying to feed them so that we get a case of uh, habituated or food-conditioned animals like we saw in Stanley Park last year in, in Vancouver. Ford also reminds people that when out hiking in any area to keep your animals leashed for their protection, make a lot of noise and always keep a safe distance. Randy Marie Adams, Global News, Kelowna. It's a quick wow. photo though. Mm -hmm. All right, Squire is here now and it's a new era tonight, Squire. Yes, it is. Uh, Rick Tockett gets the coach's first game with the Vancouver Canucks. He'll take on Chicago. Now, Tockett held meetings today, emphasizing, as he mentioned Sunday and yesterday, he wants more attention to detail in the defensive zone. I think, you know, if you're not a, a heavy team, you can still defend with quickness and brains. The Canucks weren't a very good defensive team under Bruce Boudreau. Really, they weren't under Travis Green either. So building a stronger defense is one of Tockett's challenges going forward. Also coming up, whimsical creations from a BC artist breathing life into nuts and bolts. Lunar New Year night at Rogers Arena. That's, That's right. right. They're going to wear the uh, the rabbit practice jerseys that we talked about last week. Only seven hundred and fifty dollars each. I hear. Is that oh, what they cost? Really? Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah, that's okay. what I heard on. That's what I heard on the radio, and it's our wow. radio station. Wow. So okay. Seven fifty a jersey. Some prosperity. A practice jersey. You're the yeah. rabbit. Okay, so after a one full practice, Rick Tockett gets his chance to run the Vancouver Canucks tonight. And he does get to play Chicago, and Chicago is one of only five teams that uh, are lower than Vancouver in the standings, which I'm sure actually kind of played into the coaching switch timing that Rutherford and Alvin put in, give Rick Tockett a decent chance to win his first game. He's the third Canucks coach in just over a year. Green, Boudreaux, now Tockett. Jay Janauer has more on tonight's game. We all saw and felt what the emotion was like here in Rogers Arena on Saturday night when Bruce Boudreaux coached what would be his final game 
as the head coach for the Vancouver Canucks. Tonight, the first game behind the bench for Rick Tockett. The Canucks will play three games in the next four nights. Chicago tonight, they're in Seattle on Wednesday, and then Friday, the Columbus Blue Jackets will be in town. But it's going to be interesting to see what the reception will be like for the Vancouver Canucks, but especially Rick Tockett. Like you said, it's tough because you go from, you know, such high emotions here and you got to flip the script. You know, it's kind of that reset within the season. I think, you know, hopefully we've all looked in the mirror and realized that, uh, you know, somebody had to lose their job because we didn't get ours done. So it's, uh, it's an opportunity here to uh, take that step forward. You know, we should have some energy. We should have some enthusiasm. I mean, get new staff coming in. Everybody wants to impress. So hopefully we can do that within our, our team structure and uh, just kind of start building. Personally, I'm excited to play. We, we all should be with the new staff, and, um, you know, we need a win as well. So I think everyone should be, you know, ready to go. It really is a unique situation that Rick Tockett finds himself in with the Vancouver Canucks. They have 36 games to go in the regular season, and let's just say almost half their games are against competition, not exactly Stanley Cup contenders. Beginning tonight, they'll take on the Chicago Blackhawks. They play Chicago three times. They'll play Anaheim three times, and then they have two games against Arizona, two more against Detroit. So it's not the strongest schedule. The Canucks are likely to win some hockey games. Rick Tockett wants to win hockey games, but the more games you win, the greater chance of losing that possibility of perhaps drafting Connor Bedard or drafting the top five of the NHL draft. Whether you win or lose, you got to start that foundation, and that's something I'm going to build. And then you go from there. I mean, I, I honestly, yeah, do I want to win every game? Absolutely. I mean, I, I, I don't care what everybody says. I want to win every game. But I will say the fact that there's a lot of work to be done with the foundation here, and that's what I'm really concentrating on. It was a quiet game day skate this morning here at Rogers Arena. Only two goalies and three skaters on the ice. As Rick Talk and his coaching staff wanted to get down the basics of the power play as well as special teams. So there's a lot of off-ice meetings because he only really has that one practice, which was yesterday, before diving right into action with the Vancouver Canucks. Chicago tonight, Seattle tomorrow, Columbus back here on Friday. And then the Canucks are off because of the All-Star break. They won't play another hockey game, nor will they practice until they get to New Jersey a week Monday when they begin their four-game Eastern road trip. With your ringside report, Jay Janor, Global Sports. Now, Rick Tockett said the other day that he wants to build relationships and evaluate his players going forward. But how does Bo Horvat fit into this? Unless the Canucks do something creative on the accounting side with the salary cap, it's likely Bo Horvat will be traded before the trading deadline. So does he feel his time with Tockett will be short and none of this ultimately applies to him? I've, I don't think I can look at it like that. I think uh, for me, you know, I'm, I'm a Vancouver Canuck right now and, and um, you know, I'm going to do whatever I can to help this team win. And if that's building a relationship with, uh, um, you know, talk here, then, you know, I'm going to have to do that. And um, I'm looking forward to it if, you know, he's, uh, he's a really good coach and, and uh, no, looking forward to playing for him tonight. The NHL-CHL prospects game at Langley Event Center tomorrow is sold out. One of the big reasons, it's another chance to see Connor Bedard live and in person. This is a game for kids who are eligible for this year's draft. They'll split up the players in the two teams, and the Sedin twins will be split up as well. Henrik and Daniel will be honorary coaches for different teams. Now, this game is not going to affect Connor Bedard's place as the number one prospect. And while we're on the subject, and you heard Jay mention it as well, what are the current odds in the Bedard Derby? Well, Chicago was the team leading this derby until recently. They've won six of their last eight. Anaheim now has the best chance. It'll keep changing. Whichever team finishes last has a 25.5% chance of winning the lottery for first pick overall. The Canucks are sixth worst in the NHL right now. That means their chances are 7.5%. Teams who win the lottery move up 10 spots. 
So you have to be 11th worst at least to have a chance. If you're 12th worst or higher, you can't move up to the Bedard spot. Bo is officially playing for a new team, and I don't mean Bo Horvat. Quarterback Bo Levi Mitchell signed a three-year deal today with the Hamilton Ticats. It'll pay him just over $500,000 a year. Hamilton acquired his rights from Calgary back in November before he was eligible for free agency. He lost his starting job in Calgary. He has had injury problems the last few years, but despite that, and despite being 32, Hamilton thinks if Bo Levi Mitchell stays healthy, he is still one of the best quarterbacks in the CFL. And that's one of the reasons you saw Nathan Rourke go to the NFL. A top quarterback in the CFL, half a million Canadian, maybe 600,000 Canadian. Next year, the minimum wage in the NFL is $750,000 American. Not bad. Yeah, Good money if you can get it. All right, thanks very much, Squire. Just ahead, art with action. The BC man creating dynamic sculptures. Next. This is BC with Jay Durant is brought to you by JM Media. Visit jmmedia.ca. All right, Jordan Armstrong standing by with a look ahead to Global News at 11 tonight. Jordan? Sophie Vancouver's disposable cup fee could soon be history. Mayor Ken Sim says he wants it gone by summer. At 11, why he thinks it isn't working. Plus, Vancouver Fire Rescue Services is dealing with its highest call volume in years. More medical calls, more outdoor fires. Tonight, we're speaking with the fire chief. What she says her department needs to stay on top of everything. Join us for these stories and more tonight on Global News at 11. Sophie? All right, thanks, Jordan. All right, now a BC man is making a name for himself with his mastery of machines and his ability to bring them to life. David Dumbrell is equal parts artist and engineer. And as Jade Rant shows us in This, in B this Is BC, his automatons are delighting a growing list of fans. David Dumbrell will never forget the warning from a friend who was offering some pointers when he first immersed himself into the incredibly intricate world of automata. He said, you have no idea how difficult this is going to be. Self-taught one year at a time, Dumbrell has built some fascinating creations from scratch. Now, more than a decade into his retirement hobby, the former woodworker still hits all kinds of snags in his backyard studio. Yeah, it's funny, I come back into the house after working out here and uh, my wife, Marika, looks at me and says, oh, it's not working, eh? Like, uh, you know, I have that look. This fascination with how machines function dates back to his childhood years. Down in the basement, pulling apart old radios. I never could get them back together, but uh, lots of spare parts. The kinetic artist sells some of his masterpieces, but refuses to part with many of the early creations that were inspired by everyday life. There's a handful of pieces that I wouldn't sell, and uh, they mean quite a bit to me. And there's a few pieces that my wife wouldn't let me sell. Dumbrell will take a crack at making anything with moving parts. He just revamped an old shooting gallery. Kids absolutely loved it. His inventions can be seen at UBC and in Science World. Dumbrell's a go-to guy for this type of work because there aren't too many people around with his area of expertise. 
The trick now is trying to come up with more advanced designs, branching out with new concepts that capture the imagination. And then it goes again. Each one steps up to another challenge, another way of doing something. I don't know what's next, but there will be something. Jay Durant, Global News. <laughs> well, let's hope we see <laughs> a lot of those waves tonight at the game. If you know someone who has a great story to tell or something unique to BC, just email your ideas to Jay at thisisbc at globalnews.ca. Automaton News Hour. <laughs> I don't know. It looked really weird. It looked really weird, but that, you know, was, that your, it. was that your automaton thing, or is that, that how was, you that used to my... dance back in the That's day? That's Mr. Yeah. Roboto. Yeah. Do you remember we had bobbleheads a while back? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I never got. I never got to be a bobblehead though. No, I know that was just mm. before you. There's a we joke should do in a that. fourth. <laughs> Definite collector's item now. I don't know if there's any that even exist anymore. All right, that's all the time we have. Thanks for watching, everybody. Go Canucks, go! Good luck tonight. Good night, all.